Welcome to the GT Reboot. This week, EA announced that it is shutting down Visceral Games and is repurposing its linear, narrative-driven Star Wars game to be what we suspect will be another Destiny-like multiplayer game. Mike Pierce and I discussed this and other stories, including Shadow of War's early reception and Mike's review of South Park The Fractured Butthole. We're so glad you're here to discuss all these games with us and all these stories, so let's boot up! Welcome to another episode of our show. My name is Joe DeClara. I am a contributing editor of Gaming Trend. I am joined once again and for always by a fellow contributing editor of Gaming Trend, one Mike Pierce. Mike, it's splendid to have you on my show. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, you're welcome, Joe. Thanks for thanks for inviting me again this week. It's uh, I, I love being a guest on your show. I know. I just wanted to reciprocate you being me being on your show and you inviting me it was very hospitable of you to do so it was very generous and uh, i had such a great time on your show you've run such a great show so i thought the best way to you know i have you on my show this bit's gonna get old in about like three episodes i think i think we can get it for another three episodes that's okay because we've taken a break from firing hunters, so we can just go back uh, to the firing hunter. Yeah, game we really, right we really latch on to bits. We like we get one, and it's like, all right, we got a month of of this going. Yeah, for we us. generally beat the horse to death like three or four times over, and then and then we'll stop beating it to death, and then we'll we'll go to an, something else. Usually, back to something else that we already beat to death previously, right. which yeah. is probably yeah. what we're going to do. Right, exactly. Now. You bring up the the hunter firing. Once he comes on, we're going to just keep going with that. That, of course he's just never well, absolutely there's no other proper decision he's going to be editor-in-chief of some site one day and we're going to invite him on and we're going to pull that one again and we're going to still be lowly podcast editors of gaming trend he's gonna be like these guys with the with the firing that is a really good idea that is i'm going to remember that and like 20 years from now or when he's like the head of ign i'm going to invite him on my lowly podcast and as soon as he comes on i'm going to fire well, and not then, if I then I'll, then I'll hang up on it. Not if I invite him to my podcast first, and I do it. You're I correct. Would, yeah, I would invite yeah. you as well. But I mean, we you understand. You're right. Yeah. You're right. So anyway, we're gonna talk about some video game news as we always do on our show. Uh, the first thing we're gonna talk about is uh, the most recent news and very very striking. EA has shut down their studio development studio, Visceral Games, uh, over the week. EA made the announcement that the studio that created games like Battlefield Hardline and uh, Dead Space, though they were not the primary developer uh, for the entire Dead Space series, Sledgehammer took over, uh, and also the current developer, or was the current developer, of the Star Wars game uh, headed by Amy Hennig. Uh, this development studio has been shut down by EA. And uh, the quote from Patrick Sertland, I think is how you say it, from EA, quote, Our visceral studio has been developing an action-adventure title set in the Star Wars universe. In its current form, it was shaping to be a story-based linear adventure game. Throughout the development process, we have been testing the game concept with players, listening to the feedback about what and how they want to play and closely tracking fundamental shifts in the marketplace. It has become clear that to deliver an experience that players will want to come back to and enjoy for a long time to come, we needed to pivot the design, end quote. So, Visceral Studios will be, again, quote, ramping down and closing, and will eventually be no more, although EA has also said in the same statement that the constituents of visceral games uh its developers and its staff will most of them they hope will be redistributed and allocated to other ea positions uh but visceral games and the unnamed star wars game is no more from what we can tell mike what do you think of this recent development oh i don't know it's just another reason that i don't like ea how's that for an answer I mean, I always feel bad because, you know, only because everyone comes down on EA. But I mean, this is not this is not great press for EA. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's no good. And I, and I feel bad for the people that are 
that are a part of visceral you know even if they do get redistributed which i think is a horrible name or a, a horrible term for for human beings well sure like, right right but, but uh but if they do get reassigned within ea's massive you know global software network um you know, maybe maybe they're still not happy with that move. Maybe they would rather be at Visceral Games working on the Star Wars project that they've been working on for years. And so I feel bad for those people. It sucks. I'm sure that it's a pretty awful feeling having a, a project sort of ripped out from underneath you and then being told that, oh, well, you're going somewhere else and you're working on something else. And that's just the end of it. And you don't have a choice. You can either stay with us and do what we tell you or quit and go find something else. So that's, that just sucks. And it just, it always, when stuff like this happen, it happens, it always reminds me of how huge EA is because it's, you know, small companies don't usually do this sort of thing. It's only bigger companies that close whole divisions and lay off big groups of people and all that. And so, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's sad. And it's sad for people that were excited about this sort of uh, Uncharted-esque Star Wars game coming up. And yeah. I, I mean, I'm sad about that too. So yeah, that was definitely an experience I wanted in the Star Wars universe. I'm a sucker for Star Wars, and I'm a huge sucker for Uncharted. Uh, Amy Hennig's games are fantastic. She again directed and uh, essentially created the Uncharted trilogy, Uncharted one, two, and three. The funny thing is, this is now uh, some of these developers are being moved around a second time because. If you read Jason Schreier's book, which I pitched to you, Mike, and to our listeners, you should definitely check it out. Uh, this game is being developed by a probably, from what we can tell, a good amount of people that were working on Star Wars 1313. I don't know if yeah, you remember yeah. this game, Mike. Yeah, I heard about this, yeah. Yeah, so these people who were working on 1313, this very Uncharted-esque Star Wars-looking game, uh, several years ago made a showing, a very uh, well-received showing at E3. Um, was in development and then went under went into development hell as people like to call it and uh, which is very vague but it basically means that uh, some complications arose whether it be uh, with um, pivoting in leadership or in uh, game design direction but generally what happened was LucasArts became no more and it closed down uh, once Disney, uh, acquired the rights to Star Wars and everything Star Wars related. And so the game, 1313, uh, became no more. And then the people at LucasArts uh, actually went and pitched to, I think, Visceral Games or EA specifically. But they went and showed what they had worked on uh, with 1313, trying to give this game a second life. And the folks at EA saw their work and said, listen, we're not going to restart this game, but we could get you some work. So let's hire a bunch of your people on and then let's make a Star Wars game. And so it's possible that some of these people started with 1313, got really far with this game, and they got shut down. Then they move over to Visceral Games, start making a very similar Star Wars experience at the root. And then that game could have gotten as far as however we know we don't know how far it got because we only saw about two seconds of footage of what may have been gameplay and then that game gets shut down now because visceral games gets shut down by ea that is a roller coaster ride and a like that sounds like a curse for someone to endure so that for that person if those people exist that you've been working on star wars 1313 through to this game and it's happened twice to you i am sorry that is that is terrifying and i don't even want to know what goes through the mind of someone like that well uh, yeah i mean their quick correction though it doesn't at, at first it looked like they were canceling this game but now it looks like they're delaying it and what they call pivoting it well right so they're so, basically so let's talk about that yeah yeah they're and, repurposing it right now what was said in the statement was that uh well either what was said in the statement or what was ascertained from the statement is that assets from this game visceral's game are going to be used to uh jumpstart a new game and that's what i gather from it that it's not going to be this game it's going to be a brand new game which happens well, right a lot of people assume that overwatch is if we're really shifting years overwatch is a repurposed game from blizzard's project titan 
right? That it was a totally different game, but they used a lot of those assets. But from what I can gather from this statement, this is going to be a totally different game. Well, there's another statement from Soderlund himself, uh, or Soderlund, however you say it. And he says, and this is a direct quote, a development team from across EA Worldwide Studios will take over development of this game led by a team from EA Vancouver that has already been working on the project. Our Visceral Studio will be ramping down and closing, and we're in the midst of shifting as many of the team as possible to other project and teams at EA. So, I mean, it sounds like he's kind of saying two things at once, like this will be continued but it will be continued by other people and then he's also saying that visceral will sort of just be moved around all over the place which would sort of suggest that maybe this game won't keep going so i and since they're delaying it you know that also means that there's not going to be any uh they're not going to have any schedule to adhere to so it's quite possible still that you would be right in the end and that they're just going to cancel this yeah, I well, I wouldn't say it's canceled. I mean, internally, the game, the vision that Amy Hennig had, and this, and what these people were working on, this narrative-driven, linear Star Wars game. I will tell you that internally, effectively, this game is canceled. That's what I think. Again, this is all speculation, but reading this quote. Uh, throughout the development process, we have been testing and checking with feedback, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It became clear that to deliver an experience that players will want to come back to and enjoy for a long time to come, we need to pivot the design. That says to me, games as a service, right? This is a this is an agenda that EA has been pushing for a long time. They want games to be this service engine, right? The service platform. Games that can be replayed and uh, can uh, be more conducive to uh, in-game purchases and uh, expansions and DLC, etc. So this game is now being repurposed and possibly completely uh, restarted and jump-started to be a games with service game, a Destiny-like or a Battlefront-like, right? That's what I think is happening to this game because that is where EA sees this industry going forward. And it's that being the most lucrative option to them. So that language says to me games with service and that this game is now going to be the next Destiny and the next uh, Mass Effect game. I forget, Anthem. It's going to be one of those games. Well, I think, yeah, that's a, that's a very strong possibility. And you, you, could, you could be right. That is some pretty... I mean, you are reading between the lines, but it sure does sound like what you've, what you've described. Um, and I... And I th- Part of me wonders if that might be better because when you think about how Mass Effect Andromeda turned out, I don't. It's not very easy to do this sort of like pivoting and repurposing and having other teams taking over and moving assets around and still still achieve what you set out to achieve. So, I almost feel like whatever you're talking about is maybe better than just continuing with this game and trying to get other people to develop it. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll we'll see. We'll see what happens. Either way, it's it's sad. Well, let me ask you something about just the concept of games with service as games as a service, right? Personally, I am saddened to see that this game. If the if my speculation is true, right? If this is what ends up happening, we see Ragtag as it's codenamed in a year or two, three years, right? At a preview event. And we see that, yeah, it's definitely a Destiny-like, or it's definitely something that isn't a strong narrative, linear experience that we expected from Amy Hennig, that we expected from the studio. Uh, will you be saddened to hear that, or is that something that you think will be a better experience for uh, fans of the Star Wars series or fans of these creators? It It will sadden me. I mean, and I think... You know, the the Star Wars MMO has already been tried out once, and it was pretty much unsuccessful across the board. Hmm. Um, and, I, and I didn't like it at all. I thought it was stupid. This I is think, Old Republic? I, I never played the game, so yeah. Um, no, Are you thinking Knights of the Old Republic? No, no I've was, always yeah, been confused by that, Old too. Republic, Star Wars yeah. Old Republic, right. Yeah. Here, my, can you hear my dog snoring? He is snoring like a son of a bitch. <laughs> no, right I can't. Now. <laughs> I can't hear oh, the dog okay, snoring. good, <laughs> good. Um, 
But uh, what the hell was I talking about? Sorry, my dog really distracted Star me. Star Wars. Well, we were just talking about like the loss of this game. Like we don't even know what this game was going to be, right? We saw. Right. I I remember seeing that one shot of like this over the shoulder shot of Tatooine and this Star Wars looking dude in a long leather jacket and like blaster on his shoulder. But, that's what I'm looking at, like right now. But much, like, yeah. it looked good. Like <laughs> that looked cool, and that's what I want. I want that Star Wars as as cliche as that's come to be, and as antiquated as that might be in this uh, in 2017. I I wanted that experience. I still crave the linear narrative, uh, Uncharted esque, Last of Us esque experience, and yeah, I still I, like it. I'm not I'm not at odds with it like a lot of people are nowadays. I, I would have been glad to experience that, especially from Amy Hennig herself. Well, I totally agree. I think um, I, a lot of people have talked about this with this whole visceral, visceral news dropping, um, and it does seem like over the last few years, there's been there's been far more focus on multiplayer and MMOs and uh, games as a service and all these other sorts of things and and the good strong single player interactive narrative um, experiences have been decreasing in popularity maybe not decreasing in popularity yeah, but at it, least it, decreasing in, in the yeah. amount at which they're developed yeah yeah because and, uncharted did very well right like we right. heard from sony that uncharted did very well in its opening week and uh it still continues to sell, I would assume. So, I, like, this is Uncharted 4 I was speaking about. And we'll be certain that The Last of Us 2 will do fantastic. I don't, can't reference any too many other games. First of all, there's not a lot that come out. But second of all, it's just I can't remember too many. But the single-player narrative experience does not seem to be nearly as uh, pervasive in this in this industry as it once was. And I right. don't understand why. Like, I, I understand that it's way more lucrative than selling cons- uh, tons of boxes. But uh, at this point, develop- publishers are counting on people spending money on games and then continuing to spend money on games. And even though games will sell well as a narrative experience, they're not even concerned with that anymore because they want to sell well and then continue to sell well to the same customer. Well, and I, I would... Um... Oh, I I hope, I really do hope, because I'm a strategy fan, and strategy games forever and ever have been pretty devoid of really engaging, interesting single-player narratives, for the most part. There's been some exceptions, um, Home the Homeworld series being probably one of the biggest exceptions, and when they recently came out with the prequel for that, Deserts of whatever the fuck it's supposed to be called. I always call it Karak, but, or Karak, but everyone else is calling it Karak or something. I don't know. <laughs> it rhymes with Iraq is all I know, I guess. Or sure. maybe not. Maybe it doesn't. I, fuck, okay. But <laughs> okay. The, the, the Homeworld Deserts game, for Christ's sake, it was, it was an awesome game. And um, it really did have a phenomenal single-player experience. It it really kind of blew me away. I I didn't expect it at all, and it just kicked ass. And it was really immersive and interesting and well done, and it had a lot of of depth to it. And the artistry was phenomenal. I mean, I can't say enough good things about that game, but anyway, I'm hopeful that um, some strategy developers will take sort of the cue of the, you know, these types of studios going away and the success of Deserts of Karak or whatever. You must have heard that. Now he's getting really loud. Sure. No, no, no didn't I didn't really that? hear it. Not really, no. His mouth is like fucking wide open over here. Okay. It's, anyway. <laughs> um, our, our listeners will love listening to my dog snoring. I mean, I'm telling session. you, I don't hear it, but I mean... If if they do enjoy, yes. Um, I don't know. I I just hope that. I hope that the void, or what is becoming a bigger and bigger void, of the good, strong single player narratives out there is is filled, and that developers realize that there is an opportunity there, even if it doesn't constitute the possibility for continuous sort of subscription based sales.
Let's move on to IGN and Humble Bundle. Uh, IGN has recently acquired Humble Bundle. Here's a quote from Jeffrey Rosen, CEO and co-founder of Humble Bundle. Quote, we chose IGN because they really understand our vision, share our passion for games, and believe in our mission to promote awesome digital content while helping charity. I can't think of a better partner than IGN to help Humble Bundle continue our quest. Uh, so this is a bit of an interesting turn of events. Humble Bundle is a great service, by the way. It's, uh, if anyone doesn't know, a digital platform where they regularly offer multiple games for a pay-what-you-want price, and uh, much of those proceeds go to charities. Uh, so Humble Bundle's done some great work, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Now it's being acquired by IGN. IGN is, of course, the world's most popular uh, video game website and is a website where games are reviewed. Now, what's interesting about this also is that Humble Bundle is now also a producer of games, a publisher of games, excuse me. So some games are coming out from Humble Bundle, and IGN will, uh, we assume, review those games as they review everything. So it creates an interesting scenario and possibly one that is uh, creates a conflict of interest. Um, although that was also addressed, uh, Mitch Galbraith, uh, from IGN stated, quote, editorial integrity is something we take very seriously at IGN, and I am confident that we will strike the right balance when it comes to our coverage of Humble Bundle and the games they sell. Our readers and customers have always come first, and that won't change. Mike, what do you think of Humble Bundle being acquired by uh, another fellow video games news outlet? I, I don't I don't really like it, to be honest. Um and I appreciate. Did you say his name was Mitch? Mitch Galbraith. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure how I, to say I, it, but yes. While I appreciate his statement and his sentiment, I I'm not sure I fully buy it. Especially, I don't even like the word balance. There's really not a balance. That's why there, I yeah there, I put some like, emphasis there. That's that's an interesting word to use. The right well term to use the right balance. Right. I mean, there's there's no balancing act. There's no compromise. There's no nothing. Like the whole idea of editorial integrity is that you have to be completely independent. You know, editorially independent. That's where you get your integrity from. And when you tie the two together financially, then you're going to lose some of that. And and so maybe that's why he said balance. But then that that worries me. I mean, I. And I know they're, you know, they're going to keep assuring us and reassuring us and this and that and the other. But uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty doubtful that this editorial integrity and independence is going to be maintained at all times, you know, for the foreseeable future. Um, I, and I, I really feel like, to be honest, if they were really going to, if they were going to make a serious effort, they should agree um, to not review any of the games that ever appear on humble bundle but i don't see them ever doing that because yeah, long shot that would, that, yeah right like there's no way they would do that but to me that's one of the only ways they could really assure me with some degree of certainty that they would actually keep their editorial integrity it, but th- that's just not going to happen so it yeah. is worth mentioning that i think i had heard from somewhere this is uh this is. I'm not sure where I heard this, but uh, I think they had said something to the effect of, uh, from the same statement from IGN, that uh, IGN would look to cover games that are published by Humble Bundle uh, with outside workers, say freelance workers, folks that don't aren't staffed at IGN and don't have any vested interest in this deal, right? And granted, also a lot of these deals are generally handled by folks outside of IGN's editorial office, right? Like that office is a specific branch of the company. IGN's a very big company. Ziff Ziff Davis is a big company. Uh, So there's also that there's there's a large scale that you have to recognize that at that large scale, excuse me, you have to recognize that 
uh, there is a lot of uh, disparity between, like, say, IGN's offices and, let's say, IGN's advertising offices, right? Like, they, the folks probably don't even talk to each other. And uh, so there's always that to consider. However, I do agree that this is troubling for a website. Now, it's not troubling for us. It's not troubling for anyone besides IGN, really, and IGN's readers. Um, I wouldn't suggest that readers should not should not trust IGN's reviews, but it is just something that I think we should, you know, unpack a little and delve into because it is something about ethics, and that's something that every outlet should every now and then discuss and, uh, you know, rehash just to see where we stand on it. Yeah, I think that it's concerning because there is no way to balance this, right? Like, there's one of the main balance techniques uh, that people use when uh, covering a game that they have some vested interest in, even in the slightest, is, like, this disclosure tag, right? Full disclosure at the top of the page. Uh, we've I've contributed to this game's Kickstarter campaign, and so I need to disclose that. But now let me review the game. Uh, that is... Uh, amiable and that's good and that's uh i and understanding but the problem is that doesn't just by disclosing it doesn't mean that okay you're clean of any uh ob subjectivity right like you, you still have to acknowledge that yeah this creates some kind of conflict of interest there's also metacritic to consider metacritic is not a perfect tool, not a very great tool even, but it's the tool that we have. And it's the tool that a lot of developers and publishers look to when they're considering bonuses for developers and so on. So it is concerning to see IGN, who has the biggest stake in Metacritic, now having to disclose something about games like this. They're going to be small games, of course, but I mean, that's still a problem and disclosures at the top of a page don't show up in metacritic so it's little well, things right. like and that i like you know these games that are that are being published by is is humble bundle a publisher as well or are they just a distribution platform right yeah it's a, also a publisher it, it used okay. to be just a distribution platform for charities and then this year i think uh early like this summer they finally launched their first published game well, um, and so yeah, they are a publisher. They're small games, from what I've seen, but right. I mean, they're games. But either way, now those games are going to have like an automatic PR, you know, an automatic PR platform as well, because since Humble Bundle is owned by IGN, if you're getting published on Humble Bundle, of course you're going to get you know airtime or articles or previews, reviews, whatever from from IGN, and that that also just seems a little unfair to me. So. I, I don't know. I, don't, I, I don't guess really... I don't know. Uh, IGN maybe. IGN. The thing is, I the only argument I would make against that is that those games probably would get coverage anyway because Humble Bundle is publishing them, and so it already gets uh, this high profile look to it. Not high profile, but it, there's already a profile attached to it. Um, so, but I think possibly those games would have been covered anyway. But um, that's not to say that that's irrelevant. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm actually. I'm more curious to see how readers and fans handle it because that's that's what it really comes down to. If fans aren't taking a stand and if fans aren't being sort of you know vigilant and and holding IGN to a particular standard, then then no one's going to be no one's going to do anything about it. So that's what it's really going to come down to is that fans and readers and gamers are going to have to, like I said, be vigilant and and if they think IGN has compromised themselves in some way, then they're going to need to speak up about it. Well, I mean, that's true. I believe that. And I think that, you know, to the reader beware, right? I think that that is a significant issue. And that's why these disclosures are important and why we should talk about them here to let people know that, like, listen, there's now this caveat to some of IGN's reviews, right? And these are ethics we should discuss. But Right. Again, when you say, like, okay, readers need to now speak up and have their voices heard, uh, I don't know if you've ever checked the comment section of a YouTube site or a, 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 truly a an IGN site, but it's just constant trash that's in those comment sections. You know, this is yeah, nothing to disparage that. IGN. This, it's not IGN's fault. I mean, any comment section, uh, save for a couple of sites that actually monitor their 
comment sections very heavily and very uh, unforgivingly. This IGN's uh, one of the biggest companies uh, in games coverage and also TV coverage and comic book coverage and all sorts of things. So they uh, accrue a lot of traffic and a lot of those people leave a lot of nasty, gross comments and it's just a regular influx of that all the time. So, I mean... It's cynical to say, but if if you if you want to voice your opinion, go ahead. But it's it's probably going to get buried by so much of this stuff that's already been part of uh, the IGN traffic in entirely. So, right, yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I will. We will see. As always. Mike, have you played Shadow of War? Uh, no, I, I played the previous one, though, which was... God, I can never remember. Was that Shadow of Mordor? This is That was Shadow of Mordor. This is Shadow okay. of War. Yeah. I always get them confused. I mean, hell, you heard me earlier before we started. I was just calling it Shadow of Wardor. I mean, I got, I got it now. I think I've got it down at this point, but I agree. It's definitely confusing. Just the naming is a little... Uh, like Shadow of War, it's just a bad name to go with. I think they could have just gone with Shadow of Mordor too. But uh, right. yeah. Anyway, uh, I've played Shadow of Mordor. I did not play Shadow of War either. But we're both talking about it, and that's interesting enough because the game, of course, has risen a lot of controversy since this announcement of loot boxes back in August, and now the game is out, and people are having all sorts of feelings about these loot boxes. And uh, I thought we'd talk about it because it seems like everyone else in the world is talking about these things, even people who haven't played the game. So what I found interesting is at least one person spoke about this issue specifically, that the game is getting more publicity, not for its accomplishments, not for its uh, quality, whether good or bad, but just because of this one thing, this headline that it's got loot boxes and people are upset about it. Mike, what do you feel now that the game is out and you haven't played it about how do you feel about these <laughs> loot boxes in the game? Uh, well, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of on the, the, the same bandwagon, I guess, really isn't the word I'm looking for. But I, I'm of the same opinion that I am about pre-orders in general and that it's just really not a good thing for gaming as a whole, these loot boxes. Um, I, I mean, it's from what I've read... It doesn't really affect Shadow of War. God, did I say it right that time? Shadow yes, of War? Yes, I think you I got did. it. Yeah. Um, it doesn't seem to affect it in the early or the middle game. It seems like it mostly affects it towards the end, especially um, when you like when you're not actively like because I, I gather after you're done with the plot, you can keep playing, and you end up in this. Um, like the only thing you can really do is do fortress defenses mm. basically. Mm. And to be able to defend your fortresses, you have to have these orcs and, you know, these hired armies or whatever, but to be able to do it effectively, you need the really good ones. And I think the good ones basically cost a shitload of money, which you're no longer actively earning after the plot is over supposedly. Uh, so it, it's kind of it kind of becomes a free to play model. It sounds like a little bit in the sense that you can do it. It is feasible, but you have to put in a ridiculous amount of hours to get this money to afford these loot boxes, and or you get to pay your way to winning. Right. So, so you're saying at the the end game is where the uh, the time wall kind of goes up and it becomes impossible. Not impossible, but improbable to spend enough time in order to accrue enough currency to get this these rewards. Right. Um, that's what I. That's what I've read. I haven't heard anyone really complaining about the impact of loot boxes during the main game, but I suppose that could be open to interpretation as well. And I mean, I think you can still get them, so you could, you know, potentially still like buy a whole shitload of loot boxes right at the beginning and get some really top tier allies immediately, which would probably make the game a lot easier. Yeah. I, it definitely is. uh, Yeah. What's concerning is that, you know, this end game concept, like, you know, end game concept is something that's in a lot of games. I generally, uh, 
you know, I see it synonymous with MMOs, right? That's normally the association I make. I normally am not in a single multiplayer, a single player RPG experience or open world experience for the end game, right? I mean, unless the end game is simply, okay, the main campaign is this, and then there's all these side quests and other story arches you can uh, explore like Skyrim, right? The main campaign of that you could finish in like five or 10 hours if you really tried, but right. it was all the other stuff that you were interested in. So I wonder again, like, here's the problem. We haven't played the game, but these are the kind of things you hear when coverage is so focused on this one aspect of a game. And the aspect is important, but like, uh, you know, you wonder if you're getting the full story, if this game is getting a fair chance. All of the coverage I've seen on this has been negative, right? And you were saying the same thing. The only time I see people commenting on the loot boxes and the format for microtransactions in this single player game, uh, the only time I see an argument for it is like in short Twitter blurbs saying, look, this is games now. Game developers need to make more money on this publishers need to make more money on this in order to make the investment. So this is a fair way to do it and it's not going anywhere. So what's the point? And that doesn't always sound like a very strong argument, especially when it's just a Twitter blurb. So I'm really at this point, having not played the game and having been a fan of shadow of Mordor, the first game, I am worried for this game's performance just because of how much backlash Warner Brothers is getting for this. Yeah, I feel like it. It is. It's definitely um, staining the reputation of this game for sure. And I think it's it's taking away from this system, the Nemesis system that we've talked about at length before. It's it's kind of taking away from how much of an achievement it it still is and how much better they've made it. Um, I mean, I've, I've read some other complaints, some legitimate complaints about the game that don't have to do with loot boxes. But in general, it still sounds like a good game and it's still pulling sort of the seven to eight and a half range out of 10 or for gaming trend, that would be like 70 to 85, Mm. which is still, I mean, that's, you know, that's not perfect. Maybe not game of the year territory, but that's still a pretty solid score. So you're right. I think I I agree with you. I think uh, I'm worried for this game's basically its sales and its future and its reputation based on. I mean, do I like the loot boxes? No. And do I think they shouldn't have done it? Yes, I, I, I do think they shouldn't have done it. But is the game going to get a fair a fair judgment? I, I kind of feel like it's already not getting a fair judgment. So, Well, how do you feel what your feelings on loot boxes? You, you're saying it shouldn't have gotten loot boxes and not based on playing it, but I assume based on your experience with loot boxes, loot crates, and similar systems in other games? Like, what is your feeling on this system in general? I just don't, I just don't like the concept. I don't like the whole sort of... It, to me, it's a little bit like the free-to-play system, which generally translates to pay-to-win. Yeah. Because there, there really aren't very many free-to-play games out there that are not pay-to-win. Mm. It feels to me, in general, like loot boxes are sort of a way to bleed in the pay to win mentality into uh, like a premium game. And, yeah. and yeah. I don't like that at all. Um, you know, so it's it, definitely based on that system. Yeah. Like it's, it is a carbon copy of that system for sure. Yeah. And it's just, uh, I don't know. It's, it's just annoying. And I, I feel like it's never going to go away because people are too lazy to vote with their wallets or they're too lazy to actually play the game or to take a stand or to care about it. Or like, you know, like you say, these Twitter blurbs where people are just like, well, this is the status quo of gaming now, accept it and move on kind of a thing. And to me, that's just, that's just horse shit. Like you don't, you don't just willingly accept a status quo that you don't like just because it's there, you know, you actually can do something about it. So, but I mean, We've been talking the same talk about pre-orders for how many years, and that doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. So, I mean, well, the, maybe pro- we, the maybe difference we are here is that a lot of people don't have a lot of issue. Like we generally aren't a fan of pre-orders in uh, games media. Uh, from what I found, it's almost a uh, unanimous uh, sentiment 
that's felt in uh, our industry. But this, however, I think is something that's shared not just by the games media, you know, in our little bubble of uh, covering news and seeing the patterns and recognizing faults in a certain system. This system of uh, free free to play models in paid content, and especially loot boxes, which are randomized and uh, you're not exactly paying for something specific you're paying for a chance to get something right those systems are meeting backlash all across the board you know players are not a fan of this uh content creators like streamers and youtubers are not a fan of this everyone's coming uh bouncing off of this and so that's the kind of thing that i think will show up in like the vote for, for your vote with your wallet um dynamic like you were saying i think this is the game like if it doesn't do well then warner brothers might reconsider doing uh, applying this to another game. Uh, I Does that mean that pay to win or loot boxes is a bad fit for Shadow of War? No, maybe not. But I generally think it probably won't be just because I'm not a fan of paying for anything in a $60 game. But uh, maybe that's just me and my old ways. I think, though, genuinely that the loot box system, random getting random things is a really insidious system. It preys, obviously, on uh, gambling addicts or people who are prone to gambling addiction or even just uh, addiction of any sorts, right? Because addiction is similar traits in the brain that, that trigger that stuff. So I think that is probably the least appealing factor of this i don't think that's necessarily egregious to ask people to pay for stuff in their game but i mean this by itself has stifled me from possibly thinking of playing this game or buying this game because it's just you know uh, a gross endeavor to try and get you to buy these things without knowing what you're paying for so that by itself is a problem for me but I don't know. I think this might be the game if there ever is one, you know, one champion of killing loot crates or killing pre-order bonuses or what have you. I think this might be the backlash. But uh, for all we know, people are complaining about it. They're speaking loudly about it, but they're really just buying it. And we'll find out in a month that Shadow of War was the best selling game of <laughs> October. You know, that's totally possible, too. Yeah, I um, I think there's another thing at work, too specifically with this game and and that's that loot boxes weren't a part of the experience at all with the the first one shot or uh yeah shadow of mordor mm. they just weren't they weren't there and i think it's particularly i'm not sure what the word is i'm looking for jarring maybe or or annoying or frustrating or angering when you're used to an experience one way and, and it was a good experience and then you're all excited about the sequel and then it comes along and then they drop this um, this kind of bullshit in the middle of a game that, that you were really hyped about. And Oh, sure. Um, so I think that's particularly frustrating when it's, you know, it's a little different when you're knowingly getting into a game from the beginning that has microtransactions or loot boxes or a, a pay-to-win structure or whatever it is. Like, you, you have no excuse at that point. You know you're getting into it and you should expect it. And if you don't like it, then you just shouldn't be playing that game. But... It's a little different when this appears part of the way through a series, a series that people are already very excited about. So, and uh, and I also hope that we, you know we were talking about the uh, is this game going to get a fair judgment or not? And I also I would like to extend that sentiment to uh, Monolith, the 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 designing studio, because. I am of the opinion, and I have no way to substantiate this, so don't don't take this uh, don't don't take my sure, word on sure. this. But I think this is all WB's decision to do the loot boxes. I don't think Monolith wanted to do the loot boxes, and I think if you were ever if if they if they were able to speak candidly without um, fear of you know retribution of some sort, I'm sure most people at Monolith would probably say, yeah, we were really disappointed that they wanted to include loot boxes and we don't fucking like that in our game but um i that and now i'm putting words in their mouth so don't yeah don't, of uh, course but i mean i this stinks of a publisher move right it, it uh, absolutely does wanna, yeah money grubbing profit yeah move. yeah it's just well you know it's uh money grubbing i you know the game is 
triple A market for video games is, uh, I wouldn't say it's in trouble, but there's obviously uh, a shift towards free to play and a shift towards mobile and a shift towards indie right now that is threatening triple A games and the investment that it requires and the very little turnaround that's there. So I can't necessarily blame publishers. I mean, I, I guess a lot of people will and do anyway, but I, I don't know what the solution is. I just, I think this is not it. You know, if this is a publisher move, I think it's a bad move and it obviously looks bad for Warner brothers. Uh, and people of course are assuming that this is a publisher move, not uh, monolith studios, uh, the creators of this game. Uh, but your point on it being like kind of interrupting the shadow of Mordor franchise, shadow of war, whatever the franchise is fucking called now. Uh, it, it's a cogent <laughs> point to make because this isn't only, I mean, it's also important to note that this is a single player game and that's one of the big issues here. Like loot boxes, people are, pr- have no problem with in other systems, right? Uh, Hearthstone it has totally based on loot boxes like those, um, card packs are essentially that, right? That's the magic, the gathering system. You buy a pack of five cards and you'll know what you're going to get and you could just keep buying them. And then Overwatch has the same system, but with, uh, loot crates, which loot boxes, I forget what they're called in Overwatch. Anyway, they give you three or four cosmetic items and you don't know what you're going to get. And people seem okay with that. People seem fine with that system. As long as it's, uh, either in a free to play multiplayer game, right. Or in a multiplayer game, that is only giving you cosmetics, right? Doesn't change the actual aspect of the game. In a single-player game wherein it actually affects your progress in the game, that seems to be the biggest issue. And it's further intensified by the fact that, yeah, Shadow of Mordor was a game, and it didn't have this, and it was well-regarded, very well-regarded. People loved this game, and they found it to be like a revolution with the... nemesis system although unfortunately no one took it up after this and now they're throwing this stuff in the game i think if this was a warner brothers move i think it's probably a bad move but if it there was a good way to do this to bring loot boxes or bring monetization into a single player game i think this wasn't the game i think you gotta come in with a new title but again that's risky too so i don't know it's uh it's a precarious situation uh, to put yourself in and uh it absolutely yeah. is yeah so i mean i hope that they keep making these games i hope that uh the game does well and that it doesn't require these loot boxes and uh i don't know i would consider playing it one day if i find out that it's totally fine and you don't need the loot boxes to progress but uh looking at the horrific backlash right now i find myself staying away from it at the moment and just diving into hours and hours of Stardew Valley in in my Switch, so uh, that's probably what I'll stick with for now. Yeah, I feel the same way. I'm not, um, and and I've to be fair, I've been eyeing this game for quite a while. I was pretty yeah. excited about it, but after seeing all this, I'm sort of uh, I'm getting quite a bit more hesitant, and and I've got that sort of guilty conscience kicking in. Like, do I really want to fund this kind of stuff and lend you know my my vote, so to speak, with my mm-hmm. wallet? Uh, towards loot boxes and i i really don't so i i think i should probably i should try to dig a little bit deeper because i'm sure there are some people that are that have a difference of opinion from us and i should probably uh seek those out and and read through them and analyze them and see what i think but for now i think i'm going to stay away from it and at least until it gets cheaper i mean i bought what did i buy i bought Shadow of War. Shadow no, of Mordor. Shadow of Mordor. God damn it. <laughs> I, bought, I bought Shadow of Mordor when it was on sale on Steam. Hell, I don't know, a year after it came out. And it was still a great game. So I don't see any reason to you know jump on it immediately. I'm sure this game is still going to be very playable oh, sure, in a couple yeah, of years. Yeah. So. I mean, there's no other game doing what they're doing, right? The whole Nemesis system is incredible. It's like one of the most engrossing aspects of that any single player game can have and it's only in one franchise right now that's like the only place you can go and it really should someone should pick this up and find a way to make it work because i mean it could work on its own it doesn't need this game doesn't need to stand on the tails of 
the Lord of the Rings franchise, right? Like it, it doesn't need that. You can do this nemesis system if you know how to do it, which God knows if you know how to do it, but you can make it work with any kind of game, I feel. So uh, I, I, I'm excited by that feeling, but for now, Shadow of War and Shadow of Mordor are the only places for that. So yeah, it's definitely something you could jump on at any point, I'm sure. Yeah, and I'm, man, I'm with you on that one. I didn't even think about that, but you're right. The Nemesis system, God, that could do, you could really do some incredible stuff with that with other franchises or brand new franchises. You're right. It really doesn't need, I mean, as much as I like Lord of the Rings, it does not need Lord of the Rings to be successful. It could do something completely unique and cool. And yeah, that would be, yeah, yeah, I'm going to be looking out for that. That is it for the news this week. Mike, you've recently reviewed uh, a long-awaited game here on the GT Reboot, uh, a long-delayed game, and finally it's out. It's South Park Be Fractured But Whole, and uh, which is a sequel to South Park The Stick of Truth, which was a great game in my opinion. I believe you also were of that opinion. Uh, and I we're was. both big South and Park M. fans. I, I'm a South Park fan, though I'm not a dedicated watcher. I've Of what I've watched, I enjoy South Park immensely. And you are, a, I think, a dedicated South Park fan. But uh, you've... I'm, I'm not an incredibly dedicated one in terms of, like, am I watching every single episode every week? Um, I have watched a lot of South Park, and I do frequently turn the show on but it's not in any particular order you know i might just like skip around to a different season and just do a random episode and or or if something interesting is going on like i did tune in during the 2016 election to watch quite a few weeks in a row because of course pretty intense i mean yeah you know (laughs) right like instant material for trey parker and matt stone so if you're going to decide to watch at any time like that's a good time to to watch on a weekly basis and it and i did but Anyway, I've watched a ton of South Park over the years, um, but I, I just wouldn't say I'm regularly dedicated to it. But I do love it, and I, I love their brand of humor. I've also seen the Book of Mormon, which was like probably the best play ever created. Oh my god, Book of Mormon was fantastic. If anyone's um, lucky enough to get to see that show, now probably not nearly as popper, popular because over here in New York and Hamilton is like the biggest thing ever. So you could probably go see Book of Mormon. It's still, and that's probably the best show ever. It is still on uh i don't know they don't call it broadway here obviously uh i don't know what they call it here in london but it's still regularly showing here and i saw it here in london like two years ago and it and it's been on for two years before that so they're probably going on like five six years here straight yes now. great great musical so definitely you are however also the reviewer of south park the fractured butthole let's get to that <laughs> yeah, one yeah uh yeah yeah i mean anyway i was just making the point that i'm yes, a huge fan of their comedy absolutely, absolutely. Um, so it's important to know yeah mike is a generally a fan of trey parker matt stone comedy and is clearly a fan of this game as well. You gave this a 90. That's an excellent for our rating scale. Uh, that is a v- glowing review. Uh, and uh, I didn't get to read the review myself. I normally try to re- read the reviews before they uh, we talk about them on the show. But now you're here, so you can just tell me what you said about the game. So what did you think of South Park The Fractured But Whole? So I I loved it. I think they improved upon the the first one in in quite a few ways. They they really made the combat more interesting. They went from kind of this hokey, almost JRPG style, like they did in the first one with the the, uh, the sort of the turn based stuff and everything, to a more almost a turn based tactical RPG. Uh, you know, slightly reminiscent of XCOM in some ways, with the little like grid pattern. Sure, sure. Uh, on on your fight maps and everything, um, and it, it was really like balancing your abilities and your skills and your gear with which allies you were going to take with you um, for each for each fight was really really cool. And I liked that they they gave you the ability to swap in your allies 
at the beginning of each. Uh, like you, you'd get this sort of like fight initiation screen, and then you would have this opportunity to pick which allies you were taking to okay. battle. Uh, except in certain circumstances, like you might have been doing a story quest, and so you have to fight with, you know, maybe like Butters, or uh, you have to fight with Butters and Mysterion and Tupperware or something like that. Um, but uh, anyway, so the premise of this game is uh, like in the Stick of Truth, you were you were LARPing, right, mm. and you're you're done with that now. They're they're done with LARPing, and we've now switched to superheroes. And you're still the same kid. You're still the new kid. But since we've switched games, the character that you made is you know doesn't matter. So now you're still just the shitty, worthless new kid again because you don't have a superhero right, character. Right. So the joke is so like you're you, you're the kid who's still stuck in the old dumb game, and now these exactly. kids are all playing the new game, and so they get to ridicule yeah. you. Even though you were the winner and the the hold the wielder of the stick of truth, now they can they get back right, to though, yeah. operating you for being dumb and lame, right? Exactly, and you're you're frequently if you're the you're usually known as the new kid. Well, not usually, you're occasionally known as the new kid, but usually it's butthole, butt lord, um, or a couple other wonderful Cartman colloquialisms. So instead of douchebag, you're um, now butthole. And, and various. Ah, uh, no, douche, douchebag is there okay. too. Yeah, that one's, but but not as often. That one's a little bit more infrequent. Sure. Um, but uh, it's just like, and the, so anyway, you're that new kid and you're supposed to join Cartman's superhero franchise, which is called Coon and Friends. And you, if you've watched the show, you've seen them in the show before. And uh, they, you know, they want to make a successful and profitable superhero franchise. And to do that, you need money. Just so happens that a cat recently went missing in South Park, a cat by the name of Scrambles, and the reward is a whopping one hundred dollars. Oh man, so, big payday for the kids you know, in South like, Park. Exactly, yeah. But like, you're a fucking fourth grader, right? So a hundred dollars, man. You can you could like buy the world with a hundred dollars, yeah. right? When you were in fourth grade, and so this is a big deal. And um, you know, at one point they even show like the sort of the master plan for the Coon and Friends franchise, and it involves like Netflix shows and and spinoffs and all this other shit. And at one point, Carton's like, "Congratulations, new kid! You're going to get your own Netflix spinoff." And <laughs> it's it's completely ridiculous. But anyway, you're on the hunt for this money, and then just this whole crazy other thing gets sort of blown wide open. And I don't want to give sure. it away, um, but. It's that's where it starts, and it ends up having pretty much nothing to do with the cat scrambles. Okay, good. So, yeah, so it's a ridiculous game as usual, as per South Park. Uh, in what ways uh, do they improve on or don't improve on, say, the comedy of Stick of Truth? Because Stick of Truth, one thing it had going for it was it was the first South Park game, and it was making fun of. Uh, video games generally and like specifically RPGs. So they had a lot of tropes that they could play around with and subvert your expectations. So there was that novelty to it. So is that still prevalent in this game? I assume that wouldn't, they wouldn't be able to get away with that trick again. So uh, what's the comedy like in this game besides just the plain, uh, obviously I assume there's a lot of shit humor and a lot of toilet humor as per South Park, but what's their approach with this game? Well, they they definitely still lampoon video games and RPGs and everything, but not quite as overtly, and it's not quite as as much of a focus as it was in The Stick of Truth. It's definitely still there. Um, It's just not as front and center. Now, front and center is a whole selection of shit. Like, uh, one, superheroes, right? I mean, because you're in a superhero franchise, and there's a splinter group called Freedom Pals, Total Civil War uh, parody, and you know, just superheroes in general and backstories for superheroes are a big thing. And then they they hit on every other like major contemporary social issue that you can think mm. of. Like anything and everything that the people are sensitive about, they they lampoon the shit out of it. Like uh, gender, you know, all the gender identity stuff going on lately. Like, are you transgender? Are you cisgender? You know. What was your gender at birth? Are you heterosexual, homosexual, pansexual, bisexual, whatever? They they rip on that constantly. Um, they rip on you know races constantly, like all the racial stereotypes you can think of. 
um, and racial inequality. And dude, it's just like nothing is off the table. Nothing is sacred. No one is sacred. They just destroy everything, which is why I kind of compared it to Blazing Saddles, because that's that's why Blazing Saddles worked, because they made fun of everything. And um, that's exactly what South Park does. And they do it really, really fucking well. And I think it's just as funny as the stick of truth. Maybe even in maybe even better if you like really good social commentary instead of just lots and lots of RPG focused humor. Um, and then you chuck in, you know, the, the the sort of the irresistible fart and poop and crazy other jokes here and there. Which, um, if you like South Park, you have to appreciate those sure. things. Like, and well, you don't have to, but I mean, you have to be able that. to to withstand it because there's plenty of it to come for the South Park right. games. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's the whole thing is so brilliant. It really is. Like, I I don't know, and I the, I mean. I had a great time, and I, there were very, very few points where I ever found myself going, "Oh, that was stupid," or "Oh, I didn't like that," or "Oh, there was a bug," or "It's a smooth like, game." I had I'll say. It's, no, a, it's a functional yeah. game. Yeah, it's very functional. There were one or two small things that I noticed here and there, but they weren't big deals. And what well, I mean, might they have been? The, um, there were there was like one kind of a bug that I got stuck in where I, I couldn't. Um, I couldn't progress to the area that I needed to progress to without reloading the game, which was a bit annoying. But it does autosave and quick save very frequently, so I lost thirty seconds of playtime or something by doing that. So it wasn't it wasn't really an issue. Um, and then there was one point where the sort of the battle music that plays as you're in combat it sort of bugged out and it continued on through the game over the audio and like the ambient music as you're exploring around. So I had these sort of dual musical tracks going and <laughs> I had to, you know, save my game and then reboot the whole, the whole program and start and again. They're, they're so, isolated incidents, like never anything repeating. Yeah. They each happened like maybe one time and then never again. So, I mean, it's, you know, and I hate to say it, but Ubisoft isn't exactly known for smooth experiences, especially at launch. And this was surprisingly smooth for Ubisoft. So, you know, kudos to them. So this game, Ubisoft was Um, the publisher of the last game. This game, uh, the last game was, however, developed by Obsidian. Uh, That I don't think is the case for this game. Is this also? Yeah, this was was Ubisoft San Francisco as developers. Okay. Interesting. So and they did a great job. They really did. I I think they did a phenomenal job. And um, yeah, like I mean, I ro- I want to talk about it in more detail, but I think we're still too early on for spoilers. Um, okay, sure. Maybe maybe next week or the week after, I would I would uh, talk about it more. I'm sure there's still a lot of people playing it right now, though. And so many of the jokes and the things that happen in this game. They really need to surprise you to be as funny as they can be. So I, I don't, I just want to kind of leave that alone. Okay, sure. So we'll, we'll get some more people to play the game. We'll get someone on who's played through the game, unless I, of course, I find a time to play the game. However, that'll never happen because uh, I'm playing two <laughs> games right now that are extremely time consuming. One is Shadow of War, and the other is Stardew Valley on the Switch. And I'm certainly playing the latter far more than the former. Uh, I'll definitely p- talk about those games more maybe next time, but uh, hopefully we'll get someone on that can talk to you about some South Park. Uh, I love the first game. The first game is a fantastic video game and probably will stand the test of time for years and years. So yeah, and this one will too. And I mean, it's I mean, you know, South Park looks like shit. It's always looked like shit. Nothing's going to change about the way that they draw things. I mean, so, now it looks amazing. You know. Like South Park looks great to me because. You know, it's South Park. Now it has the novelty of that South Park look that makes it look fantastic. So this game, well, like, right. like South, generally Stick speaking, Truth, I mean, yeah, right. I mean, by animation standards, it's it's supposedly lackluster, but I mean, it looks great. And South Park Stick of Truth looked amazing. It was like my favorite presentational video game of 2014 because it looked exactly like a South Park episode, and that was such an incredible novelty at the time. So, and it still right. is. And this one, this one does a really good job. Uh, like I actually felt like I was in 
a South Park episode, which is exactly what they want. And that's just awesome. It, like, it actually kind of made me feel like what it would be like to be one of the boys, one of the fourth grade boys running around South Park doing all this crazy stuff. And in a weird way, uh, you know, despite all the insane shit that's happening in South Park, like, I mean, really insane, just crazy out of left field stuff that would like never happen. But even despite all that, it kind of made me want to be a little kid again. I was kind of envious of them because they have these ridiculously fun little superhero adventures and these stupid ass little like superhero meeting places in their basement and all this other stuff. And it was it was just really charming and endearing. Uh, and it's a really addicting game to play. It was hard to put down, so I, I highly recommend. That's always a great recommendation. Yeah, yeah, like everyone needs to play this fucking game. If you're a South Park fan, this is a must-have. You got to get it. All right. Period. Awesome. And if you feel the need to find out more about the game, you can check out Mike's review, full of encomiums for the game, uh, at GamingTrend.com. <laughs> uh, you can also check out whatever I'm working on. Follow me on Twitter. Uh, where I write all of my stuff that I do anywhere, uh, including this podcast, at Joey Dagabonets. And you can follow Mike Pierce on Twitter. He sometimes posts stuff, funny little musings, and nice comments. He's one of the only nice people on Twitter. Frequently, Mike, you're you're ta- <laughs> you're posting on Twitter saying like, "Hey, by the way, I just wanted to say that this is great." Like you recently said, "By the way, I just wanted to say that Discord is like the best." game chat app out there it's no contest and you just like it wasn't induced by like a and review you did or uh i assume an interview you did you just put it up there and sometimes you post things like hey it's nice working with this person so follow mike pierce he's at grumpy gamer though you wouldn't believe it that's grumpy with two r's (laughs) and he's just a very sweet dude on twitter so you should definitely follow him with that We'll call it a week. Mike, thank you so much for coming on my show. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Joe.